We're going to have a deep dive discussion with the executive who's now in charge of developing all new products at General Motors. This is AutoLine. For the last seven years or so, Bob Lutz has been in charge of new product development at General Motors. And there's no question that he completely turned it around. GM is now cranking out world-class products. But today, there's a new executive in charge of product development at GM, Tom Stevens, who up to now has been running GM's powertrain operations. So how does he think? How does he act? How does he talk about new product? We're about to give you an in-depth discussion of what he wants to do. And joining us for this discussion today are John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal and Chubba Chetta, former editor of Car and Driver magazine and a longtime observer of this industry. If you'd like to learn more about where GM's product plans are headed, stay right where you are. We will be back in a moment. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this episode of AutoLine Detroit, where we're talking with Tom Stevens, the Vice Chairman for Global Product Development at General Motors. Tom, great having you here at AutoLine Detroit. Oh, pleased to have the opportunity to join you this morning. And I can't wait to get into the discussion, but we have to yeah. disc- uh, introduce our other two people who are with us today. John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal. John. Do I say Wall Street Journal or John <coughs> Jones? Wall Street Journal. Okay, yeah, Wall Street still, Journal. Still, yeah, uh, okay. still intact. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Chubba Chetta, what do I call you? Retired? Retired's not even a right word, right? You're, uh, a slacker you're, is what you call it. but... Uh, <laughs> Former car and driver editor. There you go. Real good. Well, let's get into our discussion with Tom Stevens here. Tom, what difference is there at all? I mean, Bob Lutz has been running all the product development at General Motors. Now you're stepping into that spot. Do you keep it the same, or are you changing anything at how you approach developing new products? Well, uh, Bob Lutz has done a great job uh, since he joined General Motors, and and quite frankly, he and I have worked this hand in glove for well, it must be uh, seven years now. And uh, what I'm trying to do is carry on and build upon all the great things that, that he's done in product development. And so when you say build upon, does that mean any kind of changes that you can talk about today? Or oh, is yeah. it just a, or okay, what? Yeah, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, keep the answer short because we've got a lot of questions we want to get to. All right. Well, in product development, our mission is to deliver the world's best vehicles. That's really what it's all about. And so uh, what is the world's best vehicle? In my mind, at first, it has to have compelling designs. One of those designs that the moment you look at it, you say, I got to have that. Uh, the second thing is, is flawless quality, reliability, and durability. The third thing is performance, and it's different for every segment that you're in, but you have to have the right balance of fuel economy, NNV, uh, acceleration, uh, safety, et cetera, that, that is uh, correct for the customers in a particular segment. And all of this has to be done at an affordable cost. To make that happen, we use what we call our global vehicle development process. And that process has been changing. If you look at it historically, um, I would say the biggest thing that we went after is being faster. There was a time in our history when we were just way, way too slow. We've worked that, and I think today we're competitive uh, with, with the best of them. If you look at it from, say, the time the styling or the design is completed to the time it takes us to get into start of regular production, it's about 20 months. And everybody 
in the industry is, is pretty well in there. So historically, that's, uh, that's kind of what we were doing. Today, currently, we're working on something completely different. And, uh, and really, again, this was initiated by Bob. In the past, I would say we were too left brain. We had all this criteria that we put in place, and I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of criteria. And we list all this criteria because we knew if you followed that, you'd have something that the customer would like from a practicality perspective, you know, shoulder room, head room, all this kind of thing. However, we'd hand that over to design, and we'd say, okay, now design us a great, great vehicle. And it's pretty hard. In fact, they termed it death by a thousand cuts, actually. So now we're trying to be much more right-brained or design-driven in, in General Motors. So we, we, uh, we tell the designers, go out and make a great design. Make something that the moment I walk in, within seconds, it, it just grabs me. And that's what they've been doing now for, for quite some time. They've got those kind of designs, and then the total team gets excited. It's not just something that will excite our customers. It also it's, excites the entire team. And then the team working together goes back and uses their capability and uses the criteria to bring forward something that, that keeps the essence of that compelling design and yet satisfies all the other criteria for quality, reliability, durability, performance, et cetera, and cost as well. So right now we're, we're spending a lot of time on that. On the global uh, product development process, uh, you know, as you said, GM has gone gradually from designing vehicles separately in markets to doing it globally. Uh, one of the big components of that, though, is about to leave the company, and I'm talking about Opel, which does a lot of the mid-size car designs. And as I understand it, you know, even when GM owned Opel completely, having those discussions in which everybody agrees to what this platform is going to look like globally uh, is, are, are difficult discussions because the rest, people in different parts of the world have different demands. How are you going to continue doing that when you no longer even own Opal and uh, those guys don't answer to the whip anymore? How are you going to continue to do those global mid-sized programs with a company that's outside of GM? Well, quite, quite frankly, we didn't use the whip even, even before. Uh, what we tried to do is work together as a global team, and we've made more progress in the last number of years on being global than I think about anybody in the industry. We truly are a, able to, to run as a global team. Now, if you, look at, uh, if you look at the design that you referenced, right now for any, any um, area around the world, any segment that we're going to compete in and also the countries or regions we're going to compete in, usually what Ed Welburn does is he has a design competition. As we find competition comes with the, the, the most expressive, the best designs. And so he might have a design center in California, maybe one here in Detroit, maybe one in Shanghai, one in Korea, one whatever, and they will work together, they'll work by themselves with a the design, each bring forward a great design, and then we will ultimately try to move toward our design vision by looking at all of these and using some parts of each and whatnot to finally come up with something that everybody says, yeah, for here, that's the one that we want, and then we move forward. In terms of, of uh, running globally, uh, certainly we, uh, we will not own Opal or all of Opal, uh, probably 35% of it. Uh, going forward. But if you look at what operating globally brings to the party, if you work together, 
I believe that you'll be able to get your costs down, costs down for engineering, costs down for supplier sourcing, costs down for investment. There are a lot of very attractive things that go on, and yet you each can come out with a product that's specific for your marketplace. So I see a win-win situation here, and so what my hope is that we'll, be continue, that we'll continue to work with, uh, with Opal going forward, and that's, that's exactly the way we're going into this partnership. Hmm. Tom, one of the interesting things has been the performance of the Camaro over the first few months on the market. It outsold to Buick and Cadillac. It did so well last month. And a lot of people stood on the sidelines and said, "Wrong, great product, wrong time. You know, fuel economy rules and everybody wants small compact. And then you bring out a Camaro and it's been a hit. What, what is that product telling you about the U.S. marketplace and the U.S. consumer and how you've got to sort of balance things in the future for this for this company because definitely a muscle car that harkens to GM's past is doing very well right now and it's sort of a head scratch I mean if you know the car it's not a head scratcher but if, if you if you listen to the pundits beforehand some people are a bit surprised by that that car I agree and I, I did listen to the pundits but what we really try to do is listen to the customers and if you get into that particular segment those customers really didn't want to give up on performance but they also maybe unlike 30 40 years ago they also wanted fuel economy so they wanted a good balance but above and beyond all of that they wanted a great design mm. they wanted a design that was just developing this emotional attachment immediately and i know it's done it with me especially one that we're going to bring out the camaro convertible here in in the near future that's the one one that's going to be in my driveway. Uh, in fact, you looked at it almost immediately. Uh, you know, it's one of those I just had to have. So w what we did is first we set out to have that design that was that was phenomenal, and we we got to that design. Then the total team went about making sure that we got the uh, the quality, reliability, and durability, and then the performance. And as we balance performance, that's why the base engine. I mean, we we've got as you know a whole lot of very high performance engine. I give you the CTS-V, I give you the, the ZR1 just as examples. But what we want to do on the base engine, the high volume engine, is to make it stellar. Make, make a really optimized vehicle around that base engine. So we spent a lot of time there and that's why we chose a 300, actually an over 300 horsepower, high feature V6. It's 3.6 liters. It's direct injected. It's variable valve timed. We put this technology on to be able to not only make that 300 plus horsepower, but make 29 miles per gallon on the highway at the same time. And that's the kind of balance when I said that performance, that's balancing fuel economy, that's balancing the, the, uh, the performance level that we felt that the customer was telling us they had to have in such a vehicle. And to look at the sales, it's working. Uh, we're close to 10,000 a month. We put overtime on to try to keep up with the demand and it's one of the hottest cars out there today in, uh, you know, in the US and I think it'll continue to be. And also, by the way, guys, like me can check the box and, and get some real uh, performance in it if you if you really want to go that far. Tom, GM's gone through this brutal reorganization. It, it's coming out of it, I think, probably as a much more efficient company. You've gotten rid of all kinds of legacy costs. What about U.S. built and designed cars being sold elsewhere in the world? Would General Motors consider doing something like that now that it's far more competitive than it was just a, a short while ago? 
I, I think as long as you have the exchange rates that we have today, I think that that's, uh, that's certainly possible. But as you know, they do change. Uh, they change over time. The, the bottom line in terms of U.S. design, we actually design our products and engineer our products globally. So even when uh, maybe the lead for something was in the U.S., you can count on us using folks from all around the world to do different parts of, parts of the designs. Uh, I think that we have products that are designed, developed, and validated at other places that should come in and make sense to come in uh, to the U.S. At the same token, I think we have a lot of products, especially our Chevrolet products, that in fact can go out around the world. So I think you're going to see that going forward. You ever see uh, products coming in from China uh, eventually, that, from what you're doing in China coming here? Uh, when, if they make sense, absolutely, and I think ultimately they will. Okay. Yeah, I think you'll see. I think you'll see products going around the world, but there'll be uh, there'll be a balance to it. I, I don't want people to think that it's just going to go all one way or all the other way, because in general, if I'm going to sell in a particular market or a particular country, I'm going to try to build there because it makes the most sense from a logistics perspective. So the overriding situation is we want to build where we sell. And that's usually all your high-volume stuff. But there are niche things. There are things that customers want that, that the volume you have in any one region doesn't make sense. So you'll build them somewhere, U.S. or other places, and then try to uh, you know, get them around the world to satisfy that customer demand. You, you mentioned earlier how uh, uh, under Bob, and you're going to continue this, the design process will be less left brain and more right brain. And, <laughs> and I think that's absolutely what GM needed, and we're seeing the benefits of these exciting designs. But you need to strike a little bit of a balance there. I mean, if we look at a product like the Solstice, which is a gorgeous car, but the trunk is not exactly wonderful. And yes, it's a sports car, trunk is not critical, but having some trunk is a good thing. And isn't the real magic in doing both? I mean, we, we did a kitchen redesign recently, and in interviewing designers, designers who can make a good-looking kitchen are readily available. Designers who can make a practical kitchen are readily available. The guys who can actually make one that looks really cool and is practical, they're pretty damn rare. And uh, that, I think the same thing goes for car design. I mean, cars that have that exciting look that you want but still have all the practicality are the winners. Uh, I mean, do you see it that way, and is that the way you guys are going to be going in the future? I do see it that way, and I think you can have your cake and eat it too. And that's why I said you first need to establish the vision. So let the designers get that vision out there, and, and then you put the entire team at trying to make the, um, the criteria, and you were talking about trunk criteria and that kind of thing, try to balance that into it and optimize it into it. And that is what we try to do. And if you look at the products we've delivered, and let me just give you some examples. The Malibu car of the year uh, and, and doing very well. The CTS was car of the year. The Insignia, European car of the year. Some of the new crossovers we brought out, the, the Enclave, the Acadia, the Traverse, just tremendous hits in the marketplace. The new stuff that we've delivered, you know, Cadillac, that CTS wagon. Oh my gosh, what a, what a, what a beautiful vehicle. The new SRX. Uh, we're just bringing out the terrain for GMC. The new Buick LaCrosse with that sweep spear design. It's just, it's, it's it's gorgeous. 
And so we've got a lot of products uh, that, we're, that we're bringing out uh, right now. And in the future, I've got even more. And every one of these, every one of these is trying to get to that balance so that you not only have the design and you stay true to that vision of the design, but it, it also satisfies all the customer needs in terms of, of criteria and performance and that kind of thing. It's not perfect. It is a balance. But we like to go from balance to optimization because we think, think it makes more sense. And I'm privy to a lot of the new stuff that's coming out. The Chevy Volt will obviously be a, be a halo for us, but the new Cruise, you look at the Cruise, you get in the Cruise, and it's more than expected. The Camaro we talked about before, I mean, people just are really thinking that that's very, very uh, optimally put together for what they're looking for. Uh, we've got an Orlando that we tend to bring out. We're on the mini uh, side of Chevrolet. We're going to bring out this, this Spark. Next in the Buick rollout, you know, we've already done great with the Enclave. I think the LaCrosse is going to be terrific based on what everybody said. We're going to follow it up with a terrific Regal. And so that's going to be awesome. And so all, we've got more and more. I'm just naming a few of our products. But we've got more and more. And if you really look at each and every one of those, I think the reason we're getting so many accolades is we are running a pretty good balance. We're staying true to that expressive emotional design, but we're getting a good optimization of the other things that need to be in there so that when the customer lives with the vehicle, he enjoys it. Hey, Tom, one of the things that has been very uh, evident in GM's product renaissance has been the the uh, role of leadership and, and Bob's leadership and his strong voice in terms of uh, taking some of the financial uh, uh, impediments that had always, you know, you always had the pencil pushers telling the designers you can't do that and sort of building a wall between those two uh, uh, factories at GM. Um, how how hard has it been, or, or how liberty has it been to have Bob still there? Um, I, I, I you know you think about needing to if you if you come in having the authority that you need to run the organization, um, and, and I remember your your, your product um, talk a couple weeks ago in Milford, Bob had to punctuate something you said. He got up. It, it's a little bit like, you know, let, let Tom do his thing. I mean, he is the product czar now, and he's the guy that's running the show here. Talk a little bit about that dynamic, still having Bob there, having to be kind of, you know, for better or worse, in the shadow still. Uh, how are you dealing with that? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Bob and I have a great, not only a great professional relationship, but a great friendship. He's been a terrific mentor. Uh, he really does understand the vehicle business, and, and we get along so well, and we do things together. It's, it's, it's never uh, one of these. It's always back and forth. How can we make this the very best it can be? How can we deliver, uh, you know, the world's best vehicles and, and just really be number one in this industry? And so I, I would say that it's, uh, that it's going very well. I don't think either one of us feel uh, a situation where if the other one wasn't there, we could do this or do that. Right. In fact, what we're doing is we're teaming up on everything. I mean, you're looking over your shoulder all the time. Like, I would like to do this, but Bob's over there. He's got a strong voice. He's no. vice chairman. Okay. No, he does have a strong right. voice. We both have a strong voice. And we're both, uh, I think, speaking with one voice. Mm -hmm. Tom, I agree with everything that you've said about your products. The only problem I have with GM products, and this has been a long-term problem, they're heavy. You guys have a lot of mass in your cars. My question is, are you going to be taking that out and how? And is it because Ford's got the same problem and Chrysler's had the same problem? And I've always felt 
If you've got $1,500 cost in retiree health care baked into every automobile, you use a lot more cast iron than aluminum. You use cold rolled steel instead of high strength steel. Is, is that part of what's driven it and how are you going to get mass out of your cars? Well, uh, our cars are too heavy. And in fact, one of the uh, key initiatives that we have in General Motors is to reduce the, the mass of our vehicles. And we are going about doing that uh, architecture by architecture, nameplate by nameplate. And so I think uh, in the future, you're gonna see uh, uh, much more competitive mass numbers uh, out of General Motors. And uh, I think that that will help. It's, it's gonna be driven by fuel economy. Uh, not just the regulations, and people keep thinking, oh, it's, it's regulation-driven. Actually, I believe it's, it's in many countries already price of fuel-driven, and it's going to be that way in longer term in the U.S. because as the economy, a global economy, starts to roll, the supply and demand for conventional petroleum will, in fact, push us to, uh, to improve the fuel economy of our vehicles. What, 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 to re related to that, uh, and I agree with your, your comments on weight, but one cause of this is that cars are just getting bigger. And this isn't just GM, it's throughout the industry. Almost every time a new generation of a vehicle comes out, it's a little bit bigger than the previous generation. And you know, maybe I'm an outlier here, <clears throat> and I'm a normal sized guy, I'm six feet tall, but I get into a lot of mid-sized cars, and they're way too big for me. They're, they're big to the point where, to me, their size is a negative. And and things like the current Honda Accord fall into this category. The increase in size over the previous generation to me is a negative in the vehicle. Do you see a, uh, a, 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 this trend stopping at some point or at least more smaller vehicles coming to, to balance this? Because, you know, we don't all need 4,000-pound sedans to be cruising around in. 4,000-pound, uh, 200-inch-long sedans, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's, it's both. It is the size, not just the weight. Well, Chubba, I, I think that you need to look at it as a portfolio. And what we're trying to do is run a portfolio from mini to small to compact to midsize to large if you're talking about cars. And we're trying to keep nice separation between those. And so we're, we're continually looking at that portfolio and trying to make sure that for whatever size you want, we have a product offering that is not only perfect for the segment, but we're also trying to make sure that it offers you more than you expect in general for an, for an automobile. And well, that's what we do with well, there's a, there's, But there's a disconnect in this because traditionally in the business, the smaller vehicle is also the, you know, it's the cheaper vehicle, and that's what most people expect. But as we get more concerned about fuel economy, I might want a small vehicle that is every bit as refined and luxurious as a bigger vehicle. I just simply want it to be smaller. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, my, my wife's looking for a replacement for a Volvo. I've sent her towards the Cadillac line. She says the smallest Cadillac is bigger than I want. I mean, she wants something smaller than a CTS, but it right. still has a luxurious interior. The refinement drives well, has all the safety. It's I, don't think, I don't think she's the only one out there like this. Yeah. And uh, is this something you guys are seeing as, as a broader trend and will you address it? It is a broader trend, and it is coming. Uh, we, uh, we did invite uh, customers one day, and we, we invited the press in another day to look at what you might term showrooms of the future. And uh, we went through all of our core brands, 
and looked at the showrooms of the future and in fact the, those uh, if it's a Cadillac the, the smaller one was in fact in there and yes we are going to make cars when I said more than expected uh, just because it's a small car doesn't mean that it's got to be Spartan doesn't mean that it's got to be just all at low cost and I give you the cruise uh, uh, all of you have seen the, the next generation cruise you just to look at the vehicle it's just beautiful it's just a great design and then and where you're really delighted, you get in and sit in there and you look at the interior. It's spectacular. Connect the materials, the design, everything is just very, very good. Civic and Corolla have done very well at the high end of the compact segment. Is that where you're going with the cruise to be a little bit more? And we yeah, need a I very quick answer. We're at the very end here. Yes, I, I think we will be there and I think we will be on top. Good. With that, we're going to have to wrap up this broadcast version of AutoLine Detroit. But Tom Stevens, thanks so much for coming on. Great having you here. John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal. Chubba Chutta, former editor of Car and Driver. Great having you here, too. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Tom Stevens, the Vice Chairman and Head of Product Development at General Motors. We actually have a lot more of that interview that you can catch right now at our website, at AutolineDetroit.tv. And you can keep better track of what's happening in the industry by checking out AutolineDaily.com. It's a six-minute daily webcast of what's going on in the global automotive industry. And then on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., it's time for AutoLine After Hours, the first live webcast dedicated to the automotive industry. Join me and Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher of AutoExtremist.com, for the most unlikely show about the auto industry. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.